Well, good morning again, everybody. Hope that you had a good week. The weather was a little bit warmer. Still windy. Got some much-needed rain. So that's, that was nice to see coming through the area. It's, it's good to be back. I mean, as I always sit in the back uh, during worship time and seeing everybody that's here, it's so nice to see so many smiling faces and just who sits with who now as we've kind of rearranged stuff. It's kind of interesting to see all those dynamics. Um, but, you know, we're going to be picking up in our series again today, talking about the spiritual gifts and diving deeper into those um, as given in 1 Corinthians 12. And we're moving on to the next gift, which is the utterance of knowledge. Um, very similar to the utterance or the word of wisdom, but also very different in terms of the understanding of how we know this term. You know, knowledge is something that is definitely sought after in today's day and age. But it's different from wisdom. It's different even from truth. You know, knowledge is about facts. It's about information. It's textbook stuff in a lot of ways. And knowledge can be dangerous as well. I mean, you think about the knowledge that we have when it comes to weaponry and just the utter destruction that we could unleash if we put that knowledge into use. Um, when we think about knowledge and how it can be acted upon, we have to be careful. You know, as we dive into this gift, again, this term is very similar to wisdom. Um, in the same vein, it's used a little bit over 200 times in the Bible. Um, and there's a variety of different meanings. And today, we want to acknowledge the differences in understanding knowledge, but also focus on the utterance or the word of knowledge rather than just the everyday use general term. You know, for instance, Colossians 1, 9 and 10 says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So, you know, there is this general knowledge of God and his will that we need to be aware of. A knowledge um, that would be an understanding of the things that are around you. We understand how that knowledge comes from God, and it should be sought out on our parts. It's the information that you have. But that information is only one way to look at this term. You know, Tozer expounded upon this a little bit. Somebody want to close that door? The wind caught that. Thank you, Gene. Definitely a windy day. But Tozer expounded upon this subject a little bit, and he highlighted some of the differences between knowledge and truth that I thought were pretty good for us today. He said in one of his sermons, one of the great religious thinkers of this century has pointed out a strange contradiction in the mental attitude of our times our eager love of knowledge, and our universal neglect of truth. That men love knowledge is too well demonstrated to need proof, if by knowledge we mean facts, know-how, statistics, technical information, scientific and mechanical skills. Our printing presses are constantly rolling out books crammed with all possible knowledge and useful information. Our schools are bulging with eager students bent on acquiring that knowledge in the shortest possible time. 
Among the most popular and lucrative radio programs on air today are those designed to discover how many unrelated bits of information a participant knows. The who, what, when, where, why run the endless questionings. And the impression is then created that the one who can answer the greatest number of questions is somehow superior to another person. It is vitally important that we make a sharp distinction between knowledge and truth. That is, between the knowledge that is but the sum of facts we possess and the truth, which is a moral and spiritual thing. It is possible to fill the mind with facts and be none the better for it. For facts have no moral or spiritual significance. Facts bear the same relation to truth that a corpse bears to a man. They serve as a medium whereby truth relates itself to outward life and circumstances, but it must depend on their significance upon the inner essence of truth. I thought that that was a good teaching on the differences that we need to understand between knowledge, information, and truth or wisdom and how we are applying that. As I think, I also think that as we approach this gift, we need to be careful in how we are understanding this term knowledge and bringing back the distinction uh, between a general knowledge or a natural ability and the supernatural. The discussion that we had as we went through Romans, whether or not the gifts were natural abilities, uh, supernatural ones, or a combination of some sorts. In my estimation, only speaking on this gift for right now, I believe this gift needs to be more of the supernatural as we understand it. Let me give you a for instance. I just got a word of knowledge. There are men here who are struggling with pornography. Now, is that a word of knowledge? Or is that just a generalization and me being able to count and know statistics? A word of knowledge is something specific that speaks to something that God wishes to speak on. Now, we're definitely to pursue knowledge. Proverbs 18.15 says, an, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. But a word of knowledge is not about your study. It is not about your general observations of people or the generalities that we see in this life. It's a very specific word given by the Father for a specific time, for a specific person or people group. Within Scripture, we see very clear separations of this gift and how it is used. We see how a word of knowledge is used in the Bible to share something that can only come from God. And I want to focus on that aspect of knowledge this morning. So before we go to the Scriptures, let's go ahead and start with some prayer. Father, I thank you for the studies that you have given us, the ability to attain knowledge, to learn new things, to continue to study deeper into your word. And I pray as we go to your word today that you would show us your truth, that you would give us an understanding, and that you would allow us to be open um, to what you have called us to do as a church, as individuals. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So the Bible is, again, full of different examples concerning this gift. We would be here all day if we were going to go through all of them. But there are several that we're going to focus on that I want to go through. And they're larger portions of Scripture, so kind of get relaxed. We're going to be reading quite a bit today. Um, 
But, you know, just again, just to start us off with some general verses that kind of speak to this a little bit, um, some simpler, smaller chunks to get us uh, going. Exodus 31, 2 and 3. Uh, you don't have to turn there. You can turn to 2 Kings if you want, because we're going to be in that book for quite a bit. But 2 and 3 says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Be- Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. So we went over a similar verse to this when we went over the word or the utterance of wisdom. And what this shows is how God is filling people with certain ability, with certain knowledge to do certain things. Again, it's just a general overview um, that he is giving specific knowledge about where he is the source. And then in Numbers 24, 15 and 16. The Israelites, they're about to be cursed by Balaam, and this is what Balaam says. The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. So within that passage, we see how knowing the knowledge of God is relating to having eyes that can see. Again, coming back to that phrase, it's throughout all of the Bible. Kind of a cryptic way even to say that, they, that he can see truth. Connecting it back to the knowledge and truth um, comparison that Tozer used in his sermon. So there is differences. And again, this is very general. It's not necessarily a specific word. But again, pointing out the source for us. How truth, how knowledge is rooted in God. That needs to be our starting point. Um, so a place that we're going to be camping out a bit in 2 Kings, and we're going to begin in chapter 5 this morning, we're, we're going to talk about the prophet, prophet Elisha. Elisha is the one who carries on after Elijah goes up in the whirlwind, and he has a lot of amazing accounts in the Bible. If you have some time this week in devotions, I suggest kind of reading over his life. A lot of wonderful things that happen. Um... I want to focus on a couple of his accounts to express what a word of knowledge looks like this morning. And I'm going to begin in chapter 5, starting in verse 1. And we're going to read through bigger sections just so that we can get some of this context and understand what's going on around the story. So in chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, Naaman, commander of the army of king of Syria, was a great man, with his master, and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord. Thus And so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I a God to kill and make 
alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry, and he went away, saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord God and wave his hand all over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be cleaned? So he turned and went away in a rage. But a servant came near and said to him, My father, it is, great, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. So we'll pause there for now. And we can see how the word that's uh, of knowledge kind of looks like here is for his healing. Where Naaman, he doesn't want to do it. You know, you hear a word of knowledge, you think, oh, that's kind of crazy. What significance does the Jordan River have? Why do I have to do it seven times? Aren't these waters from where I'm from just the same? Why can't I do it there? So you see how this healing is going to be coming from God. Because, yes, you can wash in any type of water. But there's something different about this word from the prophet. And again, this is just one instance in that story. Um, let's continue reading, and we'll focus on another instance that happens within this. Picking up in verse 15. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and he stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives, before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please, let there be given to your servant two mule loads of the earth. For from now on your servant will not offer burnt offerings or sacrifice to any god but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there. Leaning on my arm, and I bow myself in the house of Rimon. When I bow myself to the, in the house of Rimon, the Lord pardon your servant in this matter. And he said to him, Go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman of the Syrian, and not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from his chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim, Two young men of the sons of the prophets, please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on the two servants, and they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house. And he sent the men away, and they departed. He went in and stood before his master, and Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant went nowhere. 
But he said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, mule servants and female servants? Therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper like snow. So kind of focusing on that last part there, you, you read the story of Gehazi, you see the intention that he has, and you see the last two verses of 26 and 27. A word of knowledge is spoken in a way that it can't be explained in any other way than it comes from God, to where Elisha would not have known unless it came from God. And what you see here in terms of the payment, you see Elisha even going further and speaking to the heart issues that Gehazi has, the things in his heart that he desires in terms of the greed, where he wants these orchards, where he wants these servants, where he's wanting all of these things. You know, Elisha gives him a chance to come clean. Where were you? It's like Adam and Eve. Where have you been? You know, and as... As he lies, as he follows through with that, the word of knowledge comes where God informs Elisha of what to do. Again, we want to understand how a word of knowledge will point out truth. It is the word of God. The word of God cuts to the heart of the matter. It rightly divides between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. And you think of how this cutting word now impacts Gehazi's life. We want to begin together, begin to piece together what a word of God does in the Bible. So let's continue into this next chapter of 2 Kings and see this gift being used a little bit more. In chapter 6, I'm going to begin in verse 8. Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said, Will you now show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told, it was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, Behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city, and the servant said, At last, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened his eyes, or opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men, that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes. 
and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And as soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went to their master, and the Syrians did not come again on the raids into the land of Israel. So first off, I love this story. I love how the servant's eyes are opened. I, you know, I always pray about that for us to have eyes to see. This is, this is what I envision, being able to see that spiritual realm that is around. How amazing would that be? And then you see Elisha throughout this whole thing, kind of working in accord with God, where he, he leads those who would capture him before the king. The king, to his credit, looks to Elisha on what to do with these people. And Elisha, he has a different response than what maybe we would think. You know, we read this passage, and we could, we could begin to question and wonder, what about the Old Testament God? Isn't he full of anger and isn't he murderous? Why would he let all these people go? You know, when we think about who God is in terms of his attributes, in terms of justice, in terms of love, I think that there's a lot that we still need to understand, that we don't quite have it all figured out. But, you know, you, you look at this story and you look at how the king is so frustrated, the king of Syria is so frustrated. There's got to be a traitor among us. And the people are like, there's no traitor, it's, it's Elisha. He hears what you're saying in your bedroom and he tells the king of Israel. It's a word of knowledge from God. It's all orchestrated by him to set up this situation to bring peace. You know, in a situation to where if he had killed, if the king of Israel had killed this army, it would have just created more hatred, more animosity, more war, more bloodshed. But as Elisha is working with God in accordance to his will, it brings out a completely different scenario in terms of how to handle this situation. And you look at these two accounts that we've gone over so far, and you would, we understand how Elisha has this gift, but we also understand it doesn't always work out this way, the way that we would expect things to work out. It's a very important principle that we have to understand. Just like with any of the other gifts, they are not ours to control. They are gifts. Elisha lived a life that clearly showed that he had a gift of knowledge, that he had the gift of prophecy. But they are gifts from God. And for some at, at sometimes, for whatever reasons that we don't understand, sometimes those gifts do not come through. They don't always work in the way that we think that they should. Let's turn back to chapter 4 and look at an instance of this. In chapter 4, we're going to read the story of the Shunammite woman, beginning in verse 8. One day, Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. 
So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, and a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, Say, to her, say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, Well, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said, At this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, No, my lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about the time, about that time the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, O oh, my head, my head. And the father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, Why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon or Sabbath. She said, All is well. Then she settled the donkey and she said to her servant, Urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. And then she came to the mountain to the man of God. She caught hold of his feet, and Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in, utter, she is in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So you look at verse 27. You know, there's so many instances within his life where he knows so much about what to say and what to do. But here in verse 27, it says, it was hidden from me. So the Lord did not share this knowledge with Elisha about the death of the boy. Now he does go on to raise him, but we see even for a mighty man such as Elisha, God still controls the knowledge. And what was Elisha's response to that this was hidden from me? Was it, how dare you, God? I'm your prophet. I demand to know this information. It's unfair. Was it, well, he hid it from me. I guess he doesn't want to use me anymore, so I better just give up whatever I'm doing. No, he continues to press into the Father. He continues to go, and he then raises the boy. I think it's very similar to the life of Ezekiel, where you look at how he raises the boy, if you skim over that section, and it doesn't matter how crazy it might sound. It doesn't matter how crazy it might look. They just obey what they hear, what they hear God telling them to do. Now, we don't see any statements of the Lord says to go do this. The Lord says this is how you need to raise the boy. 
So oftentimes when it doesn't give that specific instruction, in our hearts and minds, we go to the natural reasons. Well, maybe he's laying on top of the boy because he's trying to warm up the body. Maybe he's putting his mouth on his. That's CPR. Maybe that's what he's doing. He's resuscitating him that way. And we go through the process of trying to naturally understand how God works. Rather than understanding the supernatural power of God. Elisha has heard from God and has followed God in what he is supposed to do. Elisha has walked very closely with God. And I'm going to keep coming back to that point. Our walk with God will dictate how we understand these gifts in strong ways. It's important it doesn't matter what the gift is. It's important for us to recognize that. Now, a few New Testament examples for us. Uh, If you want to flip over to Matthew 16, we'll start there. Probably the greatest example of a word of knowledge by somebody other than Jesus would be by Peter. Who calls Jesus the Christ? And in Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and on the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, what a wonderful example of how God um, reveals knowledge to people. Knowledge that is revealed is very specific. Specific in this case to the question that is asked. Now God, of course, is the author of all truth. And he reveals all types of knowledge to people. And our greatest form of knowledge is to know him. But at times, we can get in the way of that. Turn over to Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8... Um, is the story of how Philip goes to the Sumerian region and he is casting out demons, he is healing people and there in that area is a magician named Simon and he will meet another Simon and that of Simon Peter. And this magician is going to be introduced to God and he's going to have an opportunity to know God but he is still seeing through the eyes of greed. So within this section of chapter 8, we're going to read beginning in verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. They paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God 
In the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw this, saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of hands, the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray that the, pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you said may come upon me. So as we read over that section, you see the word of knowledge that Peter has here in verse 19 and following, where he is, again, speaking to the desires of Simon's heart, the barriers to true faith, being able to be filled with the Spirit, things that Simon has in his life, such as greed, a love of power, where we have to understand how sin hinders our walk that we can have with God, and we need to be aware of that. Now, obviously, I'd be remiss to not include Jesus in terms of the, the word of knowledge and the utterances that he has. Acts 16, uh, the disciples are responding as Jesus is praying for them, and they say this in verse 30, We know that you know all things, and you do not need anyone to question you. You know, so they recognize that Jesus knows all things, but that statement could lead to an understanding of how Jesus knows all facts. But again, as we're diving deeper into this gift, it's a different aspect that we want to get into. So, do you recall in John chapter 1 how Jesus calls Philip? Do you guys remember that story? Well, let's go over and read it. John chapter 1. So in John chapter 1, I'm going to begin in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nat sorry we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph Nathanael said to him can anything good come out of Nazareth Philip said to him come and see Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit Nathanael said to him how do you know me and Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. 
Jesus answered him, because I said I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I said Philip before, but I meant Nathaniel. Sorry about that. Um, So you see how he calls Nathaniel, how he sees him underneath the tree. I think it's this type of utterance of knowledge that is being referred to in 1 Corinthians 12 when Paul is expounding upon the gifts, where something that only God can reveal. Now, I also believe that the Spirit can recall things to mind from the store of information that you have of useful and useless facts um, that can be used at the right times, where that's more of a prompting of the Spirit to use those things. Um, and you think of Jesus, you, we hear how the disciples say that he knows all things, but even Jesus admits there's one thing that he doesn't know, and that is the time that he is going to return. That is knowledge from the Father. So again, we see even through the prophets, even in Jesus' life, God is the controller of the knowledge. He gives as he sees fit. He is the source, and we need to be rooted in that, where our connection with him is vitally important. We can ask for wisdom. We can ask for knowledge, and it can be given. We can also be told no. We can have that understanding that his grace is sufficient. You know, to be filled with the knowledge of God is to understand who he is and what he has commanded, to walk closely with him, just as closely as Elisha did, just as closely as so many other people in the Bible do. You know, when I continue to say and stress that your walk is vitally important to our understanding of the gifts, it's meant. We need to understand that. So what does this gift look like today? You know, let's say that you get a word of knowledge for somebody in particular. Do you share it? I mean, it's one thing to get the word. It's another thing to obey, to give that word. You know, I think of Jonah and his situation where he gets the word that he needs to go to Nineveh and preach. And what does Jonah do? Nope, I'm going the other way. You know, we think about being able to get a word. We think about being used by God. We think about the word that we know. How are we using it? How are we being used as a vessel by God to impact those around us, the communities around us, the people that are lost around us? What is the word of God that we have for them in terms of the gospel message even? where you break it down as simply as evangelism versus a specific word of you have three moles on the back left shoulder. You know, that's what we try to break it down a lot of times to make it sound nonsensical. But when we think about a word of God, do we have questions? Why would God give me a word to share with somebody else? Isn't that their issue? Isn't that their privacy? Who am I to speak on this? Do you think the prophets ever had those types of thoughts as they were going to give the message? You know, I think of Ezekiel, as God says, it is your job to do what I command you to do, to give the words and share the words that I give then their blood would not be on your hands. It is their responsibility to obey, to listen. You know, as you give a word of knowledge, it's not something like you're changing the person, it's all because of you. No, it's God working through you. God is the one that does that. The Spirit is the one that changes hearts. The Spirit is the one that convicts. 
You know, we know our own stubbornness. We know the times that we don't want to listen. We know those times where we're fighting back. You know, you think about the purpose of church. You think about the purpose of the gifts. You, you read about it in 1 Corinthians 12. You read about it in 1 Corinthians 14. The purpose of the gifts is to build up the body, to encourage one another. So when you think about the body, when you think about a word of knowledge and how we're using that, it is to build each other up. And I can tell you from experience, many times we are too stubborn to want to admit things in our walks, in our personal lives. Well, we know the truth, but we just don't want to live by the truth. And God is a gracious God. He is long-suffering, he is patient, and he will put people in your life to speak truth to you. Spouses, does that ever happen in your life where your spouse is speaking truth to you? Not necessarily about spiritual things, but maybe just everyday things where they are wonderful sharpening tools. Put it, put it nicely. But, you know, we ignore, we deflect, and we refuse to listen all of the time. And we need somebody else sometimes to break through those walls. In my life, I've had good experiences and bad experiences in terms of people sharing words of wisdom or words of knowledge with me. Personally, I'm kind of conflicted. I like to know the person so that I can trust what they're saying is coming from the Lord. But at the same time, I know that that could also be a form of manipulation, either by them or by me, to where they might be trying to sway me in a certain direction or I might be just blocking out what I need to hear or what I want to hear from that person and I could control that situation. That's not how a word of knowledge works with God. You know, if it's somebody that you don't know and they're giving a word of knowledge that's spot on, you don't have any more excuses other than just flat out rejecting it. For somebody to know that that personal type of stuff about you, you know that it has to come from the Lord when they're speaking directly to you in that way. Either way, you would need to discern. If a person is stubborn, again, not much of what you say is going to get through, but that's on them. You know, it's their response to the Spirit trying to work in their life. It's not up to us to change behaviors or to change the heart. That is God's work. We are only being used as vessels. Now, another experience that I have a lot of is how many of times this gift or this word of knowledge type of thing or word of wisdom comes out through sermons, through preaching. Many times, at, you know, as I'm receiving people at the, end of the, uh, at the end of the service at the door, people say, how did you know that I was going through that this week? How did you know right what to say? I mean, you were speaking directly to me. I don't know. Other than I can give you some insight, um, as I am preparing for a message, I'm in deep prayer through the week, praying over the words of the Bible, praying over all of you that I know might be in attendance. And throughout the week, the Lord may show some different things where he would give me a different word for someone to pray about certain things. Or he might give me a, a scripture verse. And at times through that week, 
I might text that person. I might give a call and say, hey, this is going on. Got it? It's all right. So as, as we, the way my mind works, maybe that was a word of knowledge from the Lord. Who knows? So as, as I'm going through that stuff in the week, I might reach out to that person and text just different types of encouragement. Give a certain call. This is pretty funny. So as, <clears throat> as I'm going through that and as I'm praying, that is all being built into the message. As the Lord is giving me the words to share, the passages to go to, the Lord is able to then speak directly into many of your lives as we have ears to hear and eyes to see. You know, when somebody is preaching and they're presenting that truth, it doesn't change. The truth doesn't change. The truth will still cut to the heart no matter what issues you're going through in life. And we have to understand that. God is trying to grab hold of us because we're stuck in a world that is just sinful all around us. And we're caught up in that. And he wants to pull us out of that because the sanctified life is so much greater than what many of us are settling for. When we think about our life choices, when we think about the messages that we hear, yeah, I have a transcript. I go through what I want to say because I know if I go off on a lot of tangents, we're going to be here for most of the afternoon. (laughs) But when I go off on those tangents, a lot of times during the message, it's one of those things where the Lord is saying, go here. And then I speak on it for a little bit as the Lord is guiding It's one of those things to where as it's coming from the Lord, it's going to all of us because he is a loving, nurturing, caring God that wants to draw you closer in your walk. The word of knowledge is to to encourage us, to build us up, but at times it can be a warning and it can be an admonishment based on how we're living our life, based on the sinfulness that we're still taking a part of. You know, as we go through life, we have things that we struggle with. We have stressors, we have frustrations. We're all aware of what those are for each one of us individually. You know, even in my own life, as I'm going through that, people have reached out to me, sent a card, sent a text, a phone call, something that, where they don't have a clue of the things that I'm going through. I mean, you might, some generalities of life, but in those particular moments, I, can, I can't even begin to count the number of times that people have broke through my heart, my attitudes, my sinfulness, and were used by God in that way. And it brings such encouragement. Now, if it's, if it's sin and it's something that I'm trying to, you know, go to the, my own desires of the heart, I might be frustrated, like, oh, you know, but it's for my good because it's God. You know, we're going we're gonna to have those ups and downs in our hearts and minds. You know, when I view this gift um, as encouraging, as a word of knowledge, I understand how God speaks directly to our hearts. And again, there's times when we just won't listen, where we're closed off. That's on us. And we have to admit that and acknowledge that. We have to repent from that. But understanding how we use the gifts can be encouraging as we build up the body. 
And as I said, it can also be um, a point of admonishment or warning. In all, in all instances, a word of knowledge that is given is meant to glorify and honor the Father. We have to understand that as well because it's him who wants to cut to our heart to grab our attention. And it's for his glory. You know, when we are struggling with sin issues, when we're not walking in a godly way, it's at those times that I find maybe it's the hardest to address. Because we don't feel worthy enough to be able to speak into other people's lives. Because maybe we're struggling with the same issues. Maybe it's because we don't have the connections or the relationships with people to be able to speak into other people's lives. You know, if some random person just came up to me on the street and admonished me or warned me about something, I'd probably brush them off because I don't know them. They don't know me. And maybe it was completely off base. But you know, when we, when we share some things with people and we understand that we, that we struggle with the same issues, we can have some generalities in life to where it could be something as simple as, hey, don't do drugs. Now, we could sit back and we can watch people as they deteriorate, slowly killing themselves. We could sit back and just ignore people. We can understand the truth in matters and not share. But, you know, when we think about what we have going on, you know, just thinking about in our own lives, thinking about in our church community, we have a lot of issues. We have a lot of struggles. There are many marriages that are on the brink. People struggle with images. People struggle with pornography, with performance. And many times... We just let each other struggle because we're in our own struggles, because we don't think we're in the right place to do that. You know, it's easier to play the game of Christianity than it is to actually live it out as brothers and sisters. Well, we don't want to let people in. We have too many barriers. We have too many walls. We have too many issues. And we know that we can, we can lead a horse to water, but we can't make him drink, right? But you know, with church, it feels like we're just watching the horses die of thirst in the desert. And we're too thirsty ourselves, hoping that we don't die first. We need to wake up as a church because the enemy is at our doorstep. And there's a lot of people that are in trouble. Not in trouble necessarily with salvation, but in trouble because of sanctification. In trouble because we're not leading a life that is a good witness and testimony for our Lord and Savior. A life that is caught up in the world. A life that's not led by the truth and the knowledge of God, but by our own devices and by our own idols. We need to wake up as a church because people around us are dying, slowly, but they're dying. I think with the word of knowledge, 
we have heard a lot of things in our life. But the problem is we don't listen. We don't actually have the ears to hear and the eyes to see. We can see the big picture, but many of us are being run down in the everyday things. And we need to break through that type of attitude, that type of mentality, to know the truth of God being lived out each and every day to the fullest in our life. Where we need to come by and come together to be the church, to encourage, to build each other up. You know, if you have children, you think of your kids, and you think of the things that they say to each other. Does it ever make you frustrated and sigh? Where do they learn it from? Makes me wonder how many times I'm encouraging. Or the things I'm saying creating the struggles. Am I building up my children to show them the way that they should go? Or am I tearing them down just like they're tearing each other down? The issues that we have in the heart need to be taken care of by the Spirit. But we have built up so many walls around it. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to feel pain, so we numb ourselves. We entertain, we escape. But we need to feel that pain to know that it's there so that Jesus can come in and heal it. And we can find his truth in those wounds. That's the truth that many of us need today. But we have ears to hear and eyes to see. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your knowledge. I thank you for such an amazing written record in your word that we can fall back on, that we can look to. And Lord, many of us look to it every day. We have devotions, we have times that we're reading your word. But Lord, it can't just stay on the pages. It has to be lived out in our lives. So I pray that you would fill us with your knowledge, that you would give us the ears to hear, the eyes to see your truth, that you would bring us to points of repentance, that we would be on our knees in humility, grasping at the feet of our Savior. Lord, we praise you for salvation. We praise you for sanctification, that you are long-suffering, that you are patient, and I pray that you would help us in our struggles. That you would bring people in our lives that can walk alongside of us. That can encourage us. That can admonish us. That can speak truth to us. And Lord, give us discerning hearts. I pray for protection against the attacks of the enemy. Lord, he is relentless and he is vicious. I pray that we can live out Romans 1, 12, 1 and 2 to where our hearts and our minds are being renewed daily by your spirit. Cleanse us, Lord. Cleanse us from the sin and allow us to live in freedom.
Allow us to give burdens to you, placing them at the cross where they belong. Allow us to, to worship and praise you for the grace that we have received. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.